The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. How are you doing, everybody? So today we have Ben Frazier, who is responsible for capital markets at Aspen Funds, having raised $75 million from high net worth investors. He's also the co-host of the Invest Like a Billionaire podcast. I'm super excited to have him on the show today because we met a few, I guess a few months ago at this point at the uh, Intelligent Investors Real Estate Conference and um, had a pretty good chat. So Ben, could you start by uh, introducing yourself, telling, a, telling us a little, bit, a little bit about your journey so far in real estate? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ben. Um, yeah, so like you said, I'm a, a principal at Aspen Funds and pretty much raise capital from high net worths. And we focus on uh, mortgage note investing, um, as well as several other verticals, including multifamily, storage, and industrial. So um, really, we focus on kind of macro-driven uh, investments in real estate and alternative investments that kind of fit our theses for where we think the economy is going and the best strategies to um, perform in those environments. So that's what I do at Aspen. And yeah, my my uh, my journey here, I've been here about five years, but before that was a commercial uh, banker and underwriter. And uh, before that worked in kind of boutique asset management. Um, but yeah, kind of had an untraditional path to kind of get into the private equity space. Um, was, that was more on the debt side beforehand, but I uh, love it. It's it's a blue ocean. Um, like you mentioned, I, I run a podcast called Invest Like a Billionaire. And our whole our whole goal is to bring education to alternative investments, you know, real estate especially for passive investors and learning about all the things that um, all the benefits that there are of investing in these types of uh, assets outside of you know the public markets that most people are invested in. And so um, that's really my passion is, you know, helping people learn about these kind of cool opportunities. Um, and as the regulations have changed, you know, about a decade ago, it's really opened up a whole new, whole new uh, opportunity set for investors. And I think we're still very early innings of the whole world of alternative investments and um, really where, you know, people can invest in, in a whole host of things. Yeah, awesome. It definitely seems like that. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of, Cool shifts going on in the financial markets um, beyond just real estate. Obviously, as we got the crypto and all these these cool these cool developments. But yeah, let's take it all the way back to what's your first milestone in real estate? Yeah, first milestone. So um, when I took the opportunity at Aspen Funds, uh, it was really kind of an undefined role at that point. It was, hey, we're growing. We need help on a lot of different things. And I was actually in my background as in finance and was a you know banker. So originally was going to be kind of a, a CFO in training type of role, but very quickly um, they needed help on the capital raising side. And so um, 
you know, that was where I got stuck and uh, ended up actually loving it. So it worked out really well, um, but I had no background in capital raising. Um, had done a little bit of sales in previous jobs and kind of sales oriented roles, but um, actually going and finding out how to raise money was started from scratch. And so, um, you know, long story short, tried a lot of things and uh, failed at a lot of things, raising capital and just trying to, you know, beg for dollars to invest in our deals and our funds. Um, but really, uh, the, the, the first kind of milestone was, um, you know, uh, probably to this day, the single biggest check that I ever got from an investor um, was, was uh, about a year after I started, he was a current investor. And my strategy was to go back to all of our current investors that we had at that point and just build relationships and tell them what we're doing and trying to get more money. And he wrote a, a $1.6 million check just on a handwritten check and just handed it to me. I was like, never seen that much money in the account, but sweet. I hope it doesn't bounce. And uh, that, that was kind of a cool confirmation of just how much capital there is out there in the world. And this, just a normal blue collar guy who actually ran, ran a pig farm and, um, and made, makes a lot of money and, uh, you know, looking for places to invest and looking for people to trust uh, to invest with. So to me, that was really eye-opening and, um, you know, there's a whole world out there of a lot of, a lot of capital available. So it really kind of changed my mindset of, you know, scrounging for every little dollar I could find to, to really creating an attraction system to where we can, you know, attract the investors that want to invest. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that is definitely a pretty cool story. Um, I love it. So, I mean, you've had experience in credit underwriting, asset management, capital raising, a bunch of different sides of, of real estate, uh, debt, equity, everything. So what, what is the common denominator that makes a real estate deal successful? Yeah, you know, there's a, a lot of pieces there. And for, for those that are kind of just getting into um, into the world of real estate investing, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, and there's a lot of ways to make money. Um, coming from, from the debt side, you know, it, it, I feel like it gave me an edge a little bit of the ability to kind of underwrite my own deals and to know what things to look out for, um, but also how to think of think like a banker, right? One of the challenges that you know sometimes we'll run into on a deal is we think you know the deal is going to perform in this way and it's going to be really good and then the bankers are always thinking worst case scenario so kind of putting myself in a position of um you know how are they thinking about the deal how can we prevent worst case scenarios or you know mitigate those risks to ensure that we get good financing terms so um you know to to, to put deals together it's you know, debt is a, a really key part of that, but then also your equity. So you got to make sure that your your equity is structured uh, to where it's compelling to investors, and um, you know the offering makes sense for the risk that they're taking. Um, but for you know, for folks that are kind of just getting into it, you know, the biggest thing I always say is just educate yourself. Educate yourself as much as you can, um, because there is a lot to learn. There's a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time, and find the find the um, people that have been doing this for a long time and doing it successfully um, and, and, and mimic them, mimic what they're doing and try to learn what are the things that they're doing right. And, um, you know, this, this kind of world of private equity, it's, it's unique in the sense that there's, there's not a lot of external, um, uh, you know, confirmation and, and where people get comfortable in like the public markets where it's all public and transparent. There's a lot less of that in the private equity uh, market. And so it, for investors, it can be um, challenging. So they generally want to invest with people that they know. And so building relationships 
you know, networking, um, understanding how the deals are structured and putting all the pieces together. It takes a lot, but once you kind of start to put the, hit the wheels turning and, and uh, um, put deals together, it, it all kind of comes together and it's, it's pretty remarkable what you can do. You know, the difference in effort between doing a, you know, a duplex or a fourplex deal versus doing a, a 50 or a hundred unit apartment deal is, is very incremental. It's very, very small dif uh, difference in level of effort. And so, you know, the bigger you think and the faster you can get up that, um, up that spectrum, the, the, the more success you're going to have. Yeah. And you can scale everything kind of scales up and it makes it, yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, so yeah, I mean, beyond learning, which obviously I, I, I have a lot of interest in doing, um, you know, what are like the skills that an aspiring real estate entrepreneur should, um, you know, spend time developing? Yeah. You know, I think the, the big thing is, is you gotta be good at sales. You gotta be able to, um, you know, sell yourself, sell your deal. Um, and on both sides, not just to investors, but also to brokers and to, to sellers of deals. Um, and, and right now, you know, the biggest challenge is finding good deals. And so, you know, having an element of hustle and stick to is a really, really key. Um, and, you know, finding, um, you know, one of the things that I always promote as well is, is finding partners that complement your own skill sets. You know, finding out what you're really good at is, is really important um, because you're always going to do better in a, in a role that you're naturally you know, inclined to do well at. Um, but the really cool thing about real estate that's very different from other things I've done is it is it is very collaborative, right? There's there's a lot of kind of key roles that can be um, differentiated and, you know, different people have different skill sets that fit those roles. And when you kind of put them together, you can create a really, really great team and you can go farther together. And so, you know, there's, I've, I've known several people that have kind of gone on their own and, you know, kind of do all the pieces of the puzzle and they're doing, you know, flips, they're doing Airbnbs, they're doing small multifamily, but it's, it's just kind of whatever you can get. And it's, um, it's sporadic, it's haphazard, it's hard to scale, it's hard to keep track of things. It's, it's always, um, you know, moving, moving money around and trying to make sure you don't run out of cash, right? So, you know, you can do it that way, but I think it's actually uh, better for the long run to, to, you know, find good partners, which is a whole other topic, but then finding partners that can um, do things that you're not good at and you can help scale together and, and go a lot farther by zoning in on one particular niche. So that didn't exactly answer your question, but I think, um, you know, one of the biggest skill is finding what you're good at because everyone's going to have different skills and whether that's finding the deals, whether that's raising the capital, whether that's underwriting and structuring the deals, um, doing the asset management, those are kind of all the kind of big key components of any one real estate deal finding out what you really like and what you're really good at and then finding other people to fill the gaps and kind of create a, a team. Yeah. So, I mean, for, I guess this is for my own personal, uh, you know, progress in a way, but I mean, how do you discover the things that you're good at? Like, what do you do to figure out what you're really skilled at? Cause I mean, I, at this point I find all these things in real estate and actually almost everything in the world interesting. So, I mean, you know, totally. right. And there's like a couple of things that I know that maybe you're not exactly for me. Like, I don't think maybe the boots on the ground things are as, as interesting to me as the uh, interpersonal and like connecting with people aspect. And then some of the more um, behind the scenes, like 
finance things. Like I like those too, but like, you know, how do I, I guess then second that, like, you know, how do you find a partner to to meet those skills too? After you, you figure out what, what skill, like the skills that you, you know, are realizing like the ones that you want to pursue. Yeah, it's a great question. It's not a, not an easy answer because I don't think it's, you know, here's the formula that you right. plug in and you figure it out, or here's the test that you take. But I think it's, I think it's self-discovery, right? And I think there's just an element of that in everything that we do. And over time, you're going to learn more about yourself, right? And, and the more that you can do that quicker, um, the, the faster you're going to kind of get into your power alley. You know, for me, I never raised capital before. And I'd been in kind of sales oriented roles before. I always loved talking with people and um, loved explaining concepts and breaking them down. And, and uh, um, but I never had been in that role. So I didn't know necessarily I was going to like that. I also liked the finance side of things because I was an underwriter. I like numbers. Um, it comes really easily to me. Um, but I also couldn't imagine myself sitting in front of a computer not talking to anybody for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. So, you know, that that's, it's kind of part of this, that, self-discovery a little bit. What are you naturally good at? Um, what do you like to do? Do you like talking with people? Um, do you like building models and crunching numbers? Do you like um, getting out, hitting the streets and you know, calling on owners, calling on brokers, finding the deals, you know, and uh, do, or do you like um, doing the asset management, maximizing, optimizing a property or, or a business plan or whatever? And part of it is you got to just kind of get in the mix to see what you naturally gravitate towards. So I think just getting the ball rolling and just getting involved and at first doing everything you're right. And just seeing what you like doing and what's what you're good at. Um, but I'm kind of like you, I like, I like everything. So to me, I love the capital raising. I love, I like the underwriting. I like the asset management, you know, the finding the deals is not as much my strength. Um, but the other three I do like, and but I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not the best underwriter. Like I'm, I'm good at it. I know how to break down a deal, but there's people a lot better than me. And then, Asset management, that's a lot more detailed work, a lot more just, you know, spending time maximizing the finer points of things. I'm more of a big picture guy. So that's not, I like to have a handle on it, but it's not my major strength. So, you know, capital is what I really like doing. I like structuring the deals. And so you kind of just figure it out as you go um, and just getting involved in deals. is the best learning experience, right? To kind of see what you gravitate towards. And even if you like something, you may not, you may be slower at it than you are at something else, right? And so you find like, hey, you're maybe moving too fast or something, or you lose interest in one particular aspect. And that's usually a good indication that, you know, maybe that's not the, the main power alley for you. Um, but you know, finding partners, that, that that's a lot, uh, you know, easier said than done. I think, you know, the easiest way to kill a deal or to kill a, you know, partnership is to find a bad one. And it's one of the bigger challenges is finding good, good people to work with. But a lot of times, you know, you're, you already have them in your network, right? You already have people and, and a great way to just go and go to networking events, go to meetups, um, just meet as many people as you can. Um, that's pretty cool. I'm about to interview a guy on a podcast who he has never met his co-founder in person. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I like that. That's kind of surprising. And they uh, they started a whole uh, kind of um, tech, tech company and an online uh, advertising platform. But I thought that was really fascinating, you know, and it kind of, you know, the, 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 the limitations become less and less as we become that much more virtual um, in this day and age. And so I think 
meeting people, finding people, doing deals together, like, you know, location is a lot lower on the list of priority um, of where you're at and finding, finding people to work with. Um, but for, you know, start, starting out, it's just get in the mix, you know, work, work for free as much as you can or as close to free as much as you can, right? And just, just to get involved and around people that are doing deals, having success, you're going to pick up so much by osmosis and just by kind of seeing a deal work together. Um, and then, you know, serendipity will hopefully find you and, and help you meet, uh, meet your partners that kind of, you know, the have complementary skill sets, you know, it's, it's for me, all, all the people I work with, you know, they're either, you know, family, friends, or people that I've known for a long time that it just, it kind of makes sense. And it just happens, right. It's you're, you're working hard. You're trying to find the deal, trying to find, you know, uh, the opportunities. And then once it happens, you got to have the eyes to see it. Right. Yeah. That's a, a that makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, a lot of the things that you said that interest you um, and that you like to do are similar to the things that I like to do. So that's kind of funny because um, I mean, I'm also going this summer to be a, um, to work on the debt side in multifamily at, at Lumen. So I'm, oh, great. Great. Yeah, so I'm going to be underwriting a lot of deals and learning a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, you know, see, let's see if uh, that's my thing, but definitely excites me. So I'm, I'm excited to get, go get into the weeds there um, in New York city. So, um, yeah, definitely. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about Aspen funds. I know that you have some income funds, but I kind of want to talk about what that is compared to a growth fund. And then also, could you tell us a little bit about Aspen funds and what you do? Yeah, you bet. So, you know, funds are a little bit different than syndications and the way I kind of break it down for those that are kind of newer to that terminology, you know, syndications are generally what you see for like a the purchase of a single, say, multifamily property is probably the most common, and basically raising money to go purchase a single property. Um, a fund is generally multi-asset, so there's going to be a lot more assets than just one asset, and you're raising, you know, a fund around a particular strategy, and you're going to buy a lot of assets in the portfolio, and you raise capital into the fund that it gets diversified across multiple assets. And so in our case, we're doing you know fund structures for most of our deals. And for our offerings are buying uh, debt. And so we buy both distressed debt as well as um, it's called reperforming debt um, on single family residences. And so that's kind of where we cut our teeth. We started there about 10 years ago um, and started building kind of our, our track record and our team around that strategy. But for, for us, you know, it's really, you know, kind of the two approaches of income versus growth. Um, you know, we, we structure our funds differently around, around those, the strategies and, you know, the, our growth funds, we're generally buying, you know, non-performing um, mortgages and uh, generating an exit, you know, through usually an amicable solution of helping them get back on track by paying again, um, doing kind of a discounted settlement agreement with them, um, or, you know, worst case scenario, we have to foreclose on the property. Um, and then the, the performing strategy, our income strategy, it's pretty cool. It's pretty unique in the sense that we're buying, uh, these are mortgages that are performing. They're making payments every month, but it's kind of called scratch and dent loans or paper. So these are not, um, uh, the, the banks don't really want to hold these because, you know, they're, they're usually restructured, which requires a bank to hold additional capital on their balance sheet um, to reserve against the loans. And a lot of times, you know, they, 
they may miss a payment here or there. And so it's, you know, it's not a perfectly performing piece of paper that they can go and sell and securitize. Um, and so the general will sell those off on the balance sheet, but they sell them at a nice discount. So we buy those usually at a 20 to a 50% discount of what's owed. And by doing that, it creates a really nice yield for us. Um, and it creates nice capital protection uh, for our, our, our investment. And we are secured by the property. So ultimately, um, it's you know pretty nice kind of risk-adjusted return. We pay out kind of monthly income on that. Um, so yeah, those are kind of our, our two legacy strategies. We continue to, to operate those, uh, but we're actually kind of in the middle of the transition right now, which I'm pretty excited about. And you know, part of our background is, is our management team is really focused on kind of macroeconomics and in focusing on what are identifying the trends that are going to be um, creating opportunities uh, going forward in the in the economy. And really, how we started in the, the mortgage notes was you know, finding this little opportunity that was created after the Great Recession, after the big mortgage crisis, right? There was a huge uh, just glut of um, uh, these di distressed mortgages that you could buy for pennies of a dollar at that point and, you know, generate really good returns. So, you know, our, our kind of core has always been finding opportunities in the market. And so we're actually shifting into operating deals in a variety of uh, real estate verticals um, that we really feel are going to benefit from um, uh, the economy and the kind of trends going on. And so other things we're excited about are multifamily, you know, self-storage as well as industrial. And, and really right now in this environment are finding, finding asset classes that are going to be inflation protective and, you know, getting good, good debt terms in place on these um, projects and being able to have inflation protection on, on the, uh, on the revenue side of our um, uh, finances and, you know, we're going to perform well in this environment if we can do that. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And then, like, what are you? What are the kind of the advantage advantages to investors for being in um one strategy or the other in terms of the offerings that Aspen Funds has? Yeah, you know, it's it's really we kind of still break all of our offerings, whether it's notes, whether it's multifamily or storage or industrial, across kind of the income or growth, right? And, and usually you're going to. You can get sometimes you can get both in a deal where it's kind of cash flowing day one. There's got some maybe some value added components that you can increase the value of a property and increase you know the equity. Um, uh, but a lot of times you know we're we're finding opportunities that kind of fit more into one or the other strategies, and so it's really an investor preference, right? It's uh, as an investor you got to evaluate um, what are your goals, right? If you're kind of younger and you're looking to grow your net worth and you want to um, you know, maximize the overall return and you already have income coming in from say W2 or other active real estate that you're doing. Um, you, know, you want to focus more on, on the growth side of things and, and find ways to maximize your dollars to, to uh, get that compounded interest working for you faster um, and also deferring as much taxes as you can. Um, and then the other side of it is the income. So we have a lot of investors that are kind of in retirement or approaching retirement and one of the biggest challenges for a lot of investors right now is finding good yields, finding good income that they can generate off of their net worth, right? So now you've they've been working for 30 years and have a nice net worth, but now they have to live off that. So instead of taking draws to other principal, like most traditional financial advisors recommend, if you can invest that into cash flowing assets or cash flowing um, investments, then um, you can live off that income passively, which is, you know, 
uh, an awesome goal to have. And so we kind of kind of bring it down by investor appetite. Uh, we're doing a lot of development deals right now. We kind of view development as a big opportunity in this market where there's uh, a really, really a big supply demand imbalance in several verticals. And you're going to get some outsized you know, risk adjusted returns um, in development. But the challenge with the development deal is you don't have any cash flow for sometimes up to two years, right? Because there's you know, a period of construction, a period of stabilization. And uh, on the flip side, we have kind of our, our funds that start paying current income you know, right away on a monthly basis. So it's really, it's, it's really we, we kind of design the fund to fit the asset. And then we go and market those funds to investors that kind of fit the profile of um, uh, the returns that are going to be generated by that offering. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. So I know that, I mean, one of the things I love about your podcast is the economic, like the very, you know, in-depth, like astute economic um, perspective. So I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, like what are the trends that you, you guys are investing based on? And then kind of with all this interest rate talk, like what, what do you think interest rate or how you, I guess, mitigating risk of interest rate increases or like where do you think the interest rates might be going in, in reality? Yeah, great, great question. And uh, yeah, you know, it's something that we really focus on. It's something that drives a lot of our kind of investment thesis for, for deals that we want to invest in. And, you know, some of it kind of seems opportunistic, but we have kind of a, a pretty, you know, uh, rigid st structure and filter that we, you know, evaluate deals through. So first and foremost, we want to make sure, you know, at the macro level, at the, the high level of the economy, what are the trends that are happening? And, um, what are the things that we can reliably say this is going to be happier for the next couple of years? Because a lot of things in the economy don't shift overnight, right? And in the stock market, there's volatility, there's huge price swings that you know reflect uh, a lot of it is based on emotion and, and other things in the market. But in the economy, it's it's a huge ship, right? It's um, a multi-trillion-dollar GDP, and it's you know it takes a lot to move this big Titanic of a ship. And so you can generally have a good sense of from a, from a broad strokes picture of where things are going to be going, looking at supply and demand in, in different um, uh, areas and what that's going to impact. And so from there, we kind of create our theses of what we think is going to, um, uh, you know, the trends are going to be in play. And then we look at what are the asset classes that are going to perform best in the environment and those, and those trends. And then what are the best strategies to uh, exploit those opportunities. And so I kind of already alluded to a couple of them, but you know, development we kind of see as a really big opportunity um, in the particular verticals that have you know, systemic supply demand imbalances. So multifamily, you know, there's a lot of demand drivers for multifamily right now. And even though there's been a big increase in rents over the past uh, two years, there's still an affordability issue as you know, uh, housing prices increase as interest rates increase that that decreases affordability and household formation continues to get pushed out um, for you know, people wanting to buy homes and uh, it's you know, became, getting more challenging. And so it's pushing a lot of people into renting um, and uh, multifamily is going to be a big beneficiary of that. So you know, that's something to look at, but the, you know, within multifamily, so we've identified an asset class that's going to perform well in, a, in an economic environment, but, um, you know, we're looking now at comparing, well, is it better to buy, a, you know, a class A stabilized asset, or is it better to buy, you know, a class C value add asset, or is it better to develop multifamily? So 
And we kind of play in, in a few different areas of that, but we actually see a huge opportunity in development. Like right now, um, for you know class A, you know A minus uh, development asset, we can go build um, in certain markets for say you know one hundred sixty thousand um, dollars a door. But we can sell it at say two hundred twenty thousand dollars a door once we're done. So you know with th those kind of numbers and, and those kind of metrics on the development uh, spread. It makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when we're looking at inflation, everyone knows inflation is a big issue, right? And your cash is on fire right now at 7% headline inflation. You know, that is, you know, over, I believe, 10 years, the purchasing power of your dollar at a 7% inflation rate decreases by 50%, five zero. So it is a massive problem for people that are savers, right? That are not investing and just sitting on cash. Um, and it's really important that you can invest in inflation protected assets. So we want to look at what are the asset classes that are going to be inflation protected. And so we talked about this recently on the podcast, but the, the best way to kind of view that is where do you have pricing power? What asset classes do you have the most pricing power? And what that means is, can we push our rents, um, you know, in a particular asset, you know, relative to inflation? So multifamily, they're generally shorter term leases. And it's you know got some level of price inelasticity, um, you know as long as you're in a market that has you know a submarket that has good median income and some good uh, wage growth and those kind of things, but you know multifamily is generally pretty inflation protective. Another asset class that I really really love, um, though it is uh, challenging to find good deals in, is self storage um, because it's probably one of the most inelastic price. Uh, sensitive asset classes there are, right? Because you, you know, a, a four or five percent increase in rents for multifamily can be kind of substantial. That's potentially fifty to hundred dollars a month increase to your your renter. But in self storage, where the average, you know, uh, dollars that someone's spending on a monthly basis are under hundred dollars a month to rent a piece of, uh, you know, storage unit, the uh, five percent increase is only $5 in that case, right? So it's, it's a pretty insignificant um, uh, increase, but it's goes straight to the bottom line, increases in OI, and NOI is what drives value in commercial real estate. So it's, it's very, very powerful. Um, and then again, I already alluded to it, the other big kind of trend we're seeing is just supply shortage. We're seeing it in a lot of these, these asset classes, including self-storage, um, including multifamily um, and, and industrial as well. So another another asset class we're very bullish on is industrial. Um, it's it's been in a secular, you know, bull market for a long time. Um, as you know, e-commerce has taken a big, you know, chunk of um, you know the economy and um, is continuing to to grow. But there's actually been a an even more recent phenomenon that is uh, accelerating the need for a more industrial which has been uh, caused by a lot of the supply chain challenges. So it's, you know, you kind of hear, uh, maybe you've heard of just-in-time inventory, right? From, from your school, if you have any kind of supply chain classes or whatever. Um, and it's basically the whole idea was globalization. We kind of create this amazing supply chain and we can get, you know, products shipped from China, you know, to your door within a short period of time, right? And it's just in time. Um, well, with, with, with COVID, that kind of threw that whole, model into um, a big challenge because you know as we all know there were you know all the so supply barges sitting off the coast and couldn't um, couldn't uh, you know get the stuff off the boats um, 
there's you know major issues with getting you know very seemingly insignificant parts like car car manufacturers for example they, they couldn't complete the uh, 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 the cars because they didn't have the chips right and just these tiny little chips were throwing the whole thing into into a big challenge and so you know a lot of these bigger car manufacturers um, a lot of uh, you know the, the bigger companies like Amazon and others are onshoring so they're actually wanting to build more industrial uh, warehousing um, in the U.S. to uh, remove that risk of reliance on supply chain. And so, again, another big opportunity there. Uh, and then we're always kind of looking for kind of inefficient markets. We're looking for, um, you know, different areas that have these kind of, uh, you know, opportunistic aspects to them. And distressed debt is one of those um, that we're going to continue to operate. And we really love that space. So that's where we see a lot of the opportunity. Um, and you know, finding the finding the deals is is the key, right? Finding the good deals that are going to perform um, in an outsized way, and that's really our goal. Awesome. So I want to make sure we have time for the lightning round, and I think we've touched on it a good bit. Uh, but I just want to quickly touch on you know what does it mean to invest like a billionaire, and how are billionaires doing it differently than us? And you know, what can yeah, we yeah. do to be more like it, more like them? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So our, that's the whole concept of our podcast, Invest Like a Billionaire. And the whole idea and really where we kind of come with that idea was as I was doing research on, you know, how the wealthy invest, um, uh, it was very, very shocking, right? To see that the billionaires of the world, the institutional investors of the world, the really smart money, most of their portfolios are in these private equity in private real estate deals and in most of their capital, you know, generally 50% or more is not invested in the public markets where, you know, the average investor is about 95 to 100% invested in the public markets, right? It's kind of all that, that they've, you know, been told is available. But if you look at um, you know, these ultra wealthy investors and how are they investing that's different, it's alternative investments are the number one biggest difference. And it's really kind of broken down between, uh, you know, real estate and private equity, um, as well as hedge funds. And those are kind of the, the, the big three of alternative investments. Um, so it's, you know, that, that's kind of the, the whole thesis of our, of our podcast and really trying to understand how are, the, how are the, the wealthy investing differently than the average retail investor and how can we model our portfolios and our strategies around what they're doing and um, you have, you know, same or similar success um, that they have. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good, a good, a good place to aim. And uh, it's a lot of good content coming out of your show. So definitely recommend checking it out. Um, but so you ready for the, the lightning round? Ready. Let's do it. All right. So what superpower would you want if you could choose any? Any superpower? Oh, man, it has nothing to do with real estate, but flying for sure. It's, it's a no brainer. Yeah, and the couple of shows before we've realized it does have a lot to do with real estate because you can check the roof and make sure and do comps because okay. you fly. Hey, there you go. There's a lot of yeah, a lot of application there. <laughs> right. So, what's your favorite book, or what's the one that's helped you the most? Oh man, so many books. You know, related to real estate, one that I am reading right now that is a uh, really really excellent is uh, Brian Burke's book. Um, actually, I have my desk right here called The Hands Off Investor, and it's really kind of a great a guide for the passive investor to, you know, understand how to break down a deal, how to do due diligence on a deal, how to find operators, how to know uh, where to invest and what to invest in. 
um, really excellent book and just kind of sharpening the you know the tools reading that book um, but it's given me lots of lots of great content great so what motivates you to continue every day yeah you know it's it's kind of initially it was about accumulation of of uh, wealth and you know i'm still on that journey but you know I'm, I'm at a place where it's i just love what i do i love helping people um you know allocate into these really good deals and be able to find you know deals where we can all win um is really really fun um i think uh you know ultimately for me it's about creating a legacy for my family and um you know i ultimately want to do a lot of cool philanthropic uh, philanthropic things so being able to create um uh you know resources to do a lot of good in the world is my kind of ultimate goal and what advice would you give to someone who, who wants to follow in your footsteps yeah, just keep going. Just keep going. Be, be super curious. You know, I think that's something that has always helped me is just just ask a ton of questions and be be borderline annoying when you're uh, you know learning something because, you know, people will um, are very willing to, to help people that are hungry, people that are curious and want to learn and want to grow. And, you know, that's probably the number one contributor is just I just work i don't necessarily work hard than anybody else but i just i just don't stop i just try to learn as much as i can i learn as fast as i can i want to iterate and improve and get up the the, the scale as fast as i can um and uh that's that's been probably the biggest contributor so since i put you on the spot i want to give you a chance for revenge um ask me any question you want to know about me oh man i want to hear more about what you're you doing this summer and uh working on the underwriting yeah, so um, I'm working at at Lumen at um in, in New York City. They're a multifamily lending firm platform. They do asset management. They do all things across the whole country. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna be screening um, potential candidates for deals before they before they become originated. And um, they do a lot of work with the GSEs, a lot of agency work, but also have a. It's actually Lumen was recently a merger of. I think last year of three other companies. I don't remember the name of each of them, but like they've combined a bunch of capacities. So like I'll get exposure to a lot of different parts of the industry and a lot of different asset classes and different um different competencies. So I'm really excited to to get that broad experience, see a lot of deals, um, hone my skills and uh network in the same space that you know I've been networking in for a while, the the middle market, um, private real estate deals. And uh yeah, they do a lot of bridge stuff as well off the balance sheet because i got a, a big a big um i guess international backer so it's uh i have a lot of cool products that i, I could I learn about and i'm excited to do that and um and yeah so it'll also be fun to go check out new york see if the the taxes and the uh the expensive rents are worth it um <laughs> on a, on a th <laughs> three month trial basis but um yeah i'm very excited for that and um hopefully i could help some Maybe it could help you. Maybe it could help some of the other people I met at IREC with uh, yeah. some loans. I want to be the first intern to originate a deal. So um, okay, keep me in mind if you if you ever need any of these these awesome products. <laughs> I know you like that's good a, debt. It's a great goal, man. You're gonna learn a lot. That'll be exciting. Definitely great. So where can everyone reach you if they want to find out more? And um, do you have any final remarks for the audience? Yeah, no, it's awesome. I think you hit a lot on it, and I think just just getting started. And for those that are kind of just, you know, get into the mix, um, challenge yourself to think bigger. I think that's always a, 
you know, something that's, we, we limit ourselves by what we think we can, we can achieve. And then when you achieve that, it's like, actually, it wasn't that hard. I can do a lot more. And it's kind of this, this stair step process. But if you can, if you can make big jumps and shortcut the process, you're going to get a lot farther um, than you think you can go. I know that was the case for me where it's really within a two-year period, it went from like zero to a hundred. And it was, there wasn't that much difference in effort. It was just thinking bigger and uh, just, you know, believing I could do it, you know? So that's, that's a big uh, expectation I would, I would say. And then, yeah, reaching me, you know, our uh, Aspen funds, it's a website is aspenfunds.us. And our podcast, um, you can go to thebillionairepodcast.com. Uh, call it Best Like a Billionaire. We're on all the platforms and uh, check out the show. Awesome. Well, I recommend you do that. And Ben, thanks again for coming on. It's been a great conversation. And I'm sure everyone will learn a lot from this episode. So um, yeah, thanks again. And uh, hope to see you in a conference soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones.